people see the three boats coming. And by the time they reach land, people have already begun to gather along the Capernaum shore. Jesus binds his hair back and bends down to help Simon and Andrew drag their boat up on the shore. They stow their oars and other equipment. Simon has just cut down the last shreds of a sail from the mast. The disciples have just begun to wash the boat's interior when a small, red-faced man throws himself through the crowd and falls at Jesus' heels. Master, he pants. Jairus, says Jesus, what's the matter? He knows the man. He's often seen Jairus arrange worship in the Capernaum synagogue. Master, my child is dying. Your daughter, every breath is, is weaker than before. She's dying right now. Please come and lay your hands on her, please. And without a word, Jesus goes with him. Jairus jumps up and pleads with the people to move, and then he and Jesus and the disciples and most of the multitude begin to flow through the streets toward the high ground near the synagogue. Hurry, hurry, Jairus cries, pumping his arms. Get out of our way, hurry, and suddenly Jesus stops. Unaware, Jairus continues to plow forward, but, but Jesus is looking at the crowds around directly behind him. Who touched me, he asks. And Simon releases a harsh laugh. Touched you? Who, who touched you? Who didn't touch you? This is a mob. But Jesus ignores the ridicule and shouts, who touched my tunic? I felt the power go out of me just now. And up ahead, Jairus notices that the crowd has come to a complete halt. And he's struggling helplessly against a human wall. He sees that the master is no longer with him, that the multitude watching Jesus in another exchange altogether. Who touched me? You know, interruptions in life can lead to some of the most unsettling moments, some of the most traumatic experiences, or the most vibrant opportunities. The interruptions we face in life can paralyze or empower, devastate or renew, destroy or build up. But it's never easy. In fact, the word itself, interrupt, it comes from the Latin word interruptus, from the word inter, meaning between, and rumpere, to break, as in rupture or, or breaking apart or, or bursting. This rupturing between in the course of our lives can be as tragic, like in this story, as your little girl on her deathbed. Or this rupturing between can be as promising as a pregnancy. It can be as frustrating as a full bladder during the Barbie movie, or as simple as a phone call, we've been trying to reach you to contact you about your car's extended warranty. It could be as alarming 
as getting T-boned in a busy intersection or as tasty as a sandwich at my favorite time, lunchtime. Interruption is hard sometimes. At times, it's confusing or annoying. It can be tragic, but it can also be good. And so I want to interrupt to take a moment to share some important information with this church family. Thirteen years is a long time. And it's been over 13 years that Jeff and Liz have faithfully served this church and community at full bore through death and new life, through loss and growth, through a heart attack, and getting beat by Ashley at mini golf, through something called COVID-19, and bearing the burdens of a church and community. I don't use that term lightly, full bore. It comes from the act of drilling a hole at full speed, and they haven't had a break. And so after showing signs of overwhelming stress and reaching out to me for help this week, it was suggested that Pastor Jeff take a break from his leadership role here at Journey the Church for a brief period of time. This decision was made by the church council after much prayer and deliberation because we don't want to lose Jeff. And we want Jeff around for a really long time. Not one of us, Jeff included, takes lightly the pastoral responsibility of leading and shepherding this congregation. We recognize that our pastoral team is held to a higher standard because we serve as teachers and role models of, of the attributes of Christ, showing that to our church. And Jeff and the council recognized the stress that he felt and met. And a collective decision was reached for Jeff to take a break for three months, effective immediately. And during this time, Pastor Jeff will have the opportunity to step away from the day-to-day -day functions of his role and the demands placed on him to reconnect with God and his family. And it's crucial for us to communicate this to you so that you understand that this decision was made in the best interest of one of our pastors, his family, the staff, and this church family. So we're asking that for the next three months that we as a church can allow them, Jeff and Liz, to be still and know that God is God. He will get his full salary, and they will be connected to a pastoral, counselor, mentor, coach during this time so that there's great healing and refreshment and insights, wisdom, reflection, restoration where it's needed. And so we ask you to please respect this period of rest and restoration for Jeff by redirecting your phone calls, texts, and visits to him to others on the church staff and council. We believe that this is a time for the church to be the church, and that we mature in supporting one another and learning to engage in community groups, the church council, and the whole staff for counseling, support, guidance, and direction. In other words, don't go to Jeff and Liz right now. Give them a break. I mean, this dude, his phone is always going off the hook with texts and emails, messages, calls, and I know, I know, I know that you want to help. And so, give them this time. We also ask that you consistently pray for Pastor Jeff and his family so that this period will produce exactly what God intends in him. This is an interruption 
I know that can cause great anxiety and impatience, and so we want to reduce any sort of miscommunication about this matter. We realize it's human nature to talk with others and share your concerns, but, but please realize that this action is being taken now as a preventative measure to reduce stress and to avoid any potential problems that this could bring about. And so now, more than ever, we request not only your prayers, but also your continued dedication to this church in the way of serving, attending services, and giving as the distribution of work will be made to other staff members who will also need your, your prayer and your support. And so during this interruption, may we learn to lean into one another and, of course, into Jesus, who is all and all and all that he is doing in this situation. So God... We entrust ourselves to you completely. Into your hands we commit our spirit, each and every one of us. We lift up Jeff and Liz and their family, and we pray for great rest and restoration and renewal. We ask, Lord, that we can learn to be your church. And in this process, Lord, that we become stronger, more equipped. Thank you for the outreach that we're able to continue as a church. We love you and praise you, and we ask that you be glorified and that you receive the glory in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So today, we continue our sermon series, Jesus Is, where we're going through the Gospel of Mark, exploring the characteristics of Jesus. And over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at how Jesus is empowering how Jesus is willing, and today we continue with Jesus is peace. And I think that that is something we need, especially when life gets interrupted. And so, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. If you've got it on your smartphone, go ahead and pull that up. Um, if you've got the old school text like I do, that's even better, I think. Um, but I, I, you definitely need to get there today. Or if you don't, you know, follow along on the screen, but we will need to go through this together. Mark chapter 5, if you don't know where that's at, the table of contents is a great place to start. It shows us where we need to, to begin. Mark, big 5, little 21 begins like this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded with him earnestly, my, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus travels to the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee by boat. And when he arrives, one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus comes and falls at his feet. Jairus' name means one whom God enlightens. And God is sure going to enlighten him today. But did you notice as you follow along, as you're reading, did you notice he is first identified by his role, not by his name? It's not Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders, but one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus. So now, like, what's a synagogue, though? A synagogue refers to a Jewish community or a gathering of people or an area or building where people gather or all three. 
It's a place of religious worship and study, reading and teaching of Scripture. And as a synagogue leader, Jairus is a religious leader, responsible for the building, leading in worship, and general administration. He'd be well-respected and relatively wealthy. Like, we later find out that his daughter has her own bedroom. And in the first century context, that is a big deal because ordinary folks would just have one room to their whole house. And here he is, red-faced, panicked, heart racing, anxiety through the roof, not an ounce of peace. There's the lapping tide on the shoreline, the buzzing of a gathering crowd. And they drag the boat to the shore and stow the oars and and other equipment, and Jesus stands there sopping in his robes. When Jairus pushes through the crowd and falls at his feet, here's Capernaum's finest, this relatively wealthy, esteemed leader with all sorts of religious responsibility falling before Jesus. It's awkward. It's abnormal behavior, especially from this leader of the synagogue. Like, think of all the obstacles preventing him from doing this, from falling at Jesus' feet. He has to cast aside his rank, his prestige, his role in society, but he throws it all aside, and he believes in the divine power of God at work in this man, this teacher named Jesus, who is far more than a teacher and far more than a man. And in agony, he pleads with Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Literally, my little daughter is at last gasp, at the point of death. But Jesus, come, put your hands on her. And with confidence, Jairus says, so that she will be healed and live. Now, he's not asking for medical assistance here, not CBD gummies, lavender oils, or a full body detox cleanse. But miracle healing. For in the biblical world, sickness was the leading edge of death. To be sick was already to be in the grasp of death, and to be healed was to be restored to life. So verse 24, it continues, So Jesus went with him. No words come from Jesus here. He doesn't say a word. He simply just goes with Jairus. And here the story gets completely interrupted. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse for 12 years. 12 years, she's had a a chronic hemorrhage, a flow of blood from a ruptured blood vessel. And some have said that this this bleeding, it, it comes from the womb or her bowels, but this bleeding, it's been debilitating, impoverishing, embarrassing. All the doctors have failed her. She's become bankrupt, trying to be cured. Her human assistance has failed her, and she suffers daily with this debilitating, impoverishing, embarrassing blood flow. And when we come to this passage, we often think about, like, ritual impurity and how this bleeding woman might be considered religiously unclean, separated, restricted, isolated, or excluded from society. And yep, she's hurt. 
lonely, bankrupt, sick, and hopeless. The woman is physically sick and weak, ritually unclean, unable to participate in synagogue and community life. She's impoverished, even though we find out that, that she was once a person of means. And did you notice as you're reading along, the author of the Gospel of Mark never mentions a husband or children. Since this sort of vaginal bleeding prohibited marriage and was grounds for divorce in this culture, and since she cannot physically or biologically bring new life into being as a mother, in the understanding of her ancient culture, she cannot, by the standards of her ancient culture, fulfill her function as a woman. Like the leper of Mark 140. Her life is actually a living death, and her healing would be restoration to life. Like the child who waits dying in Jairus' house, she is beyond all hope. And since you're a close reader of the text here, I bet you picked up on the striking contrast, the big difference between the bleeding woman and Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. Jairus is named, is male, Wealthy, the leader of a synagogue, a parent concerned about his sick daughter who approaches Jesus publicly asking for healing for his daughter. But the woman is nameless. She's poor, excluded from the synagogue. She has no children and can have none. She is concerned about the living death she bears in her own body. And how does she approach Jesus? Verse 27 says, When she heard about Jesus... She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. So it's like, it's covert, it's secreted, right? Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. The woman believes that Jesus has the power to heal. And she doesn't just believe it in her head, she believes it in her heart, and with her whole entire being, she acts on it. It's one thing to say, I, I believe, I believe, but it's clearly another to live it out. She was in despair when she heard about Jesus, ritually unclean, a social outcast, shunned by society, and now she risks one final loss, public shame, all in an effort to restore her health. But Jesus is repulsed by no one. Immediately, verse 29 says, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? Touched you? Like, this is a mob. Who didn't touch you? Up ahead, Jairus notices that the crowd has come to a complete, complete halt. He's struggling helplessly against a human wall, and then he sees that the master is no longer with him, that the multitude is watching Jesus in another exchange altogether. Who touched my clothes? Jesus shows concern for a single person in the middle of a crowd. And sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the crowd, isn't it? Sometimes it's easy to forget that God loves each of us 
so individually, so personally, with such immensity that we cannot comprehend. The woman knows in her body that she has been healed. And Jesus knows that power has gone forth from him. We as the readers know, but Jesus asks, who touched me? The buzzing crowds don't know. The disciples don't know. I mean, they're confused along with the crowds and have to offer some rather embarrassing elementary explanation. Who touched you? Um, Jesus, you realize uh, there are people around us right now. And how do I say this? Like when you walk through a crowded crowd because of the crowded space, there might be the occasion when somebody makes contact with another person. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet just as Jairus had nine verses before. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. The woman's fear and trembling are a reaction to what happened to her, not in response to having been found out. She is healed, and then she explains to him the whole truth. Verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Did you catch that? Daughter. Before she was hurt, lonely, bankrupt, social outcast, nameless. And now Jesus gives her the greatest name of all, daughter your faith has healed you. Now Jesus gives her the best name of all, daughter. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus publicly completes her physical healing by reintegrating her into the community. Both physical and social status are restored. And Jesus' farewell announcement, Hupage es Irene. Go in peace is translated literally, go with all your parts joined together. She's made whole. She's made complete. And that's what the peace of Jesus brings, wholeness and completeness. It's not the absence of conflict or trial, but the presence of Jesus in conflict and in trial. And when everything about that conflict and trial is blowing everything into smithereens, the peace of Jesus produces wholeness and completeness. And it might not be in the external situation, but it's in us, for Jesus is Peace, especially in the interruption, especially during the rupturing between in the course of our lives. For, for Jairus here, this interruption, it must cause great impatience and anxiety. It's like, my, my little girl's hourglass is running out, and here's this interruption. Why? This makes no sense. The timing is terrible. What about my little girl? Oh, we must get there before it's too late. But I think we must remember who we're with here. And who is with us? I think that's all about peace. Remembering who we're with here and who is with us. Verse 35, it says, While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? 
I'm sure Jairus could not even look at him. He's no longer trying to fight the crowds toward his house anymore. His face is white, drained of expression, his eyes sightless. The messengers say, no need for Jesus. He might as well go on his way. Jairus, your daughter is dead. And to me, these words represent the, the loss of faith and a turn toward hopelessness. Jairus is left with anything but peace, anything but his parts joined together, anything but whole and complete. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's a stark contrast between the bleeding woman who, who just said, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed, but it makes sense. She's dead, and death is oppressive. It's all-powerful. It's in control. Death has the final say. Verse 36 says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Jairus has already shown great faith in coming to Jesus. Now he is surely fearful. He is challenged by this new report. Jairus can no longer ask for healing. Jesus challenges him to overcome his fear and ask for his daughter to be raised from the dead. Don't be afraid. Just believe. But that goes against everything I know. Like all the reasons and the circumstances and the logical explanations. Yep. You must remember who you're with here and who is with you. I imagine Jesus seizing Jairus by the shoulders and glaring at, at the messenger saying, Jairus, don't be afraid. Do you hear me? Just believe. Now is the time for believing. Now is the time for remembering who you're with here and who is with you. But what happens next? What will come of his daughter? And if this Jesus is empowering and willing and peace, is this something that he can handle? And what more does this reveal about who Jesus is? What is next in the story? Come back next week and find out. But I want to leave you with a challenge. A prayer and a reminder. A challenge, a prayer, and a reminder. C-P-R. So here's the challenge. Read the Gospel of Mark. All of it. All 16 chapters, all of it, over the course of the week. It's like 639 sentences, and it takes about an hour. Read all of it. All the Gospel of Mark. And here's the prayer. And it's not just that we pray it and just think these thoughts in our head and believe it there, but like the bleeding woman, we believe it also in our hearts, with our whole being, we act on it. It's a prayer by St. Francis of Assisi, and it goes like this. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. 
Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. And lastly, here's our reminder. If you and I could just remember who we're with here and who is with us. Well, isn't that the very definition of peace? Jesus with us. It's his very name, Emmanuel, God with us. And since Jesus is peace, in Jesus we go with all our parts joined together, made whole and complete. You know, interruptions in life can lead to some of the most unsettling moments, some of the most traumatic experiences, some, some of the most vibrant opportunities, though. The interruptions we face in life can be paralyzing or empowering, devastating or renewing. They can destroy or build up. This rupturing between can be as wise as asking for help and as necessary as taking a break. It can be as helpful as a church rising to the occasion, and it can be as challenging as a baby coming too soon. Like with Ashley, our children's director. It's been quite an interruption and the latest news I have, I talked to her this morning, is that Ashley is in the hospital right now. Still pregnant, but at 27 weeks. And a normal pregnancy, I guess, goes like 39 to 40 weeks. And she says, uh, not the fifth anniversary we planned. We are supposed to be getting ready for a wedding and our baby moon, but instead we are in the hospital for the foreseeable future. Wednesday, I ended up having to go to the hospital because my blood pressure was dangerously high, which could have caused harm to me and or to our baby. So for now, we are being closely monitored to try and get this little guy as close to his due date as possible. So pray for Ashley, and pray for husband Matt, and pray for this eager baby boy. And know that in every season and situation, in every interruption, whether it's hard or confusing or annoying or tragic or good, that we must remember who we're with here and who is with us. It is the God who never fails. It is the God who stays constant and faithful even when we are faithless. This is the God who renews and restores and gives strength and breathes life into dead things, causing them to grow. This is the God that we serve who is strength. He gives strength to our weakness, our mortal bodies that cannot do it. But God can, and God empowers us to rely heavily on Him 
and one another. And he has called us to various purposes to be the church in the world. All different body parts, all functioning together with him, Jesus Christ, alone at the head. His Holy Spirit empowers us and guides us and gives us ability we never knew we had, but it's to be shared and, and used in connection with one another, a vast network of image bearers throughout the earth, sharing the goodness and peace and love of God, even though we may walk through conflict and trial, even though the difficulty seems to be blowing everything into smithereens, we still have a God who is faithful, a God who has won, a God who is victorious and who will never fail us a God who never gives up, a God who is never tired or weary, but a God who breathes his breath and the flowers fall. But we rise up, even in the middle of the storm, no matter how thick and dark it may look. We have a God who's standing on the seashore saying, you know what, I'm gonna go with you myself and we're gonna take care of this. A God who has ever been willing and so, how will we be peace in this world? I think that's the question. Will we trust that Jesus is enough? Will we allow peace to rise in our situations, as devastating as they might be? Will we allow the hope that Jesus continues to bring to be enough? For if he did it then, he can do it again. And it's not just in the pages of some old holy scripture that we, we see his work and his will and his purposes come alive, but we see it in this very room. We see it in their very lives, people whose testimonies, people whose experiences are the goodness of God in the land of the living right now, in the very shadow of death, even in the shadow of despair and difficulty and heartbreak, God is here with us. So Jesus, have your way in us. Have your way in our lives. We give you complete control. You are in charge. You've always been in charge. We just think sometimes that we have a better way of doing it. But Lord, forgive us of our trespasses, our doubts, our wrong ways that we go so quickly. But help us to trust fully, completely in you. I ask for your peace to be breathed upon this church, these people who can go and then bring that wholeness and completeness into the brokenness of our world. We have a, a big, big task ahead of us, but we have a bigger God. And so we thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you have done. We pray these things in the name that never fails, the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, and all God's people said, amen. amen.